0: Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed.
1: Morning, thank you very much. My name is Sam, I'm the student minister. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard many sermons about demons preached in front of a Christmas tree. Um, (laughs) But uh, as we're going to see, Jesus came to drive out the darkness from this world. And that's something we can celebrate at Christmas. It's something we do celebrate at Christmas. And um, so maybe it's not quite as strange as we think. Why don't we um, pray and ask for the Lord's help as we come to his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did come to drive out the darkness of this world. Father, as we look again and see your son's mighty power as we see his power over evil Father would you help us to respond not with fear but with faith help us to trust our spiritual champion in his name we pray Amen Amen I wonder if you um, we're going to write a sort of list if you're going to rank your fears write a list of things you're, uh, you're afraid of what would make the top five nuclear war, I'm not going to ask you to do this by the way, maybe nuclear war, you know, maybe the death of a close friend or family member financial ruin um, but here's another question, as the list kind of goes down I wonder how long it would be until you mention demons top 10 top 100 you see generally in the, in the west we don't think loads about the spirit world. Once a year at Halloween, we sort of roll out the screen masks and the zombie costumes and, and, and try to laugh away our fears. But, um, but chatting this, this week with CCM friends from Asian or African backgrounds, they're not as quick to laugh. They, they know something of the reality of these spiritual forces. Maybe that's you, as you sit here this morning. And even in the West, actually, look at the, the the popularity of the podcast uncanny i don't know if you listen to the podcast uncanny they're making it into a tv series at the moment um ordinary people ring in ordinary people are on the show to to sort of talk about their paranormal encounters it was in in the uk top 25 podcast last year and um as you as you listen to some of these stories there's a palpable sense of fear people kind of recount these experiences wide-eyed having having just had an experience that doesn't fit at all with what they know or thought they knew about the world. And and there's also a sort of sense of relief, actually, that here is a space where I can talk about this, where I don't get written off as a complete lunatic. But whether or not you believe in evil powers like that, all, all of us have a category for evil. For evil. Life's murky, shadowy, underbelly that sometimes rears its head. It rears its head as a a neonatal nurse murders babies that she was entrusted with taking care of. It rears its head as a sexual predator has his way without stopping to consider that the body that he is violating might be human. It rears its head in global conflict as unspeakable acts of violence are committed by people utterly convinced that they're doing the right thing. We might not admit to believing in evil powers, but all of us know the reality of evil. The fear of monsters never quite leaves us as we grow out of childhood. Author G.K. Chesterton put it like this. I think this is a fantastic quote, but he, he, he puts it brilliantly. He says this, Fairy tales, then, are not responsible for producing in children fear. Or any of the shapes of fear. Fairy tales do not give the child the idea of the evil or the ugly. That's in the child already because it's in the world already. Fairy tales do not give the child his first idea of evil. What fairy tales give the child is his first clear idea of the possible defeat of evil. The baby has known the dragon intimately ever since he had an imagination. What the fairy tale provides for him is a St. George to kill the dragon. Isn't that great? it's true, isn't it? We know the reality of evil in the world. It's there. And Mark, who wrote the passage in front of us today, he knows the dragon. He believes in demons or impure spirits. And he, he thinks we should be more scared of them than we are because he slows down his storytelling and he rubs our noses in the terror let me read again from from verse 1 just look at how this man is described they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes when Jesus got out of the boat a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore Not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. One writer has called this the eeriest episode in the life of Jesus. I think it's hard to argue with that. And you might remember if you were with us a few weeks back, looking at Mark chapter 3, Jesus referred to Satan as the strong man. Do you remember that? No one can enter a strong man's house unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Well, here's the living embodiment of the strong man. Presumably he's been, he's been terrorising the local villages with his violence, but he simply cannot be subdued. They've tried everything, they've tried ropes, shackles, chains, they've tried binding his hands and his feet, they've emptied the local gyms of every muscular bloke they can find, but no one is strong enough to subdue him. This is superhuman strength, this is the real life demonic incredible Hulk, if you're into Marvel. But Mark also hints that behind this demonic monster is a deeply distressed man. He's crying out. He's cutting himself with stones. He's forced to live outside his community among the tombs. Every day, a living hell. He's terrifying, but he's also terrified. Now, you might be tempted to say at this point, well... Surely we would we we diagnose this differently today. You know, they, they called it demonic oppression. Presumably we'd call it paranoid schizophrenia or, you know, or, or something like that. But I don't, I don't think we can just so easily dismiss this. There's a reference on the bottom of your sheets to Matthew chapter 4.24. It does seem like the gospel writers distinguish demon possession from other forms of irrational behaviour that happened at the time. The word here for, for those having seizures seems to cover broader categories of mental disorders. So, I don't think we can just write it off as, you know, sort of this was something they used to believe in. It's not, you know. Mark wants us to see in, his, in this man the fullest possible concentration of demonic activity a strong man beyond human control, a terrifying superhuman monster. Who will step up? Who will step up to take on the dragon? Well, Jesus. That's who. Mark's telling us a true story of a spiritual champion. A knight to slay the dragon. A hero to rescue a helpless man. And today the invitation for us is really simple. Trust your spiritual champion. Trust your spiritual champion. Trust him with fears about demonic powers. Trust him with fears about the evil in our world. Trust him. Now this little, this little section we're in in, Mark, in um, Mark, this is Mark's stab at making a Hollywood epic. Jesus the hero, taking on the forces of chaos. And, and last week we had the chaos of storms, this week the chaos of evil. And people are responding in fear and faith. Raw fear, often the kind of instinctive response, but Mark doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to bring us into faith. And our story today, we meet Jesus, our spiritual champion. There's a little outline on your sheets. He makes the demons flee. He makes the people afraid. He makes the man go and tell. Okay, that's how we're going to work through it. He makes the demons flee. He makes the people afraid. He makes the man go and tell. And the invitation for us is to trust him. Okay. So firstly then, he makes the demons flee. He makes the demons flee. Verse six, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran And fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. The demons come full of hostility. They name Jesus and they command Jesus as if they were the exorcist and Jesus the evil power. And their hostility is just a reminder to us. Everything Jesus is for, Satan and the forces of evil hate. Jesus, he's out for forgiveness. Satan, he's out for condemnation. Jesus sows the word of life. Satan loves to snatch the word of life. Jesus loves to heal. Satan loves to destroy. And this demonic man, he comes full of hostility. He tries to oppose Jesus, but it doesn't end well. Jesus makes the demons flee. And, And from the very beginning... They are forced to reckon with a superior power. The story is told in a slightly funny order. Sort of verses 6 and 7 are the, are the demons' actions towards Jesus. And then verses 8 and 9 is sort of Jesus' counter actions towards the demons. And, and, and Mark frames this as a contest. One against the other. But this is no contest. It's over before it's even begun. He's on his knees before Jesus, the strong man recognising the stronger man. Last week, we left the disciples in the boat with Jesus, wondering, who is this? Who is this man who wields authority over the storm? Who is this man who controls the wind and the waves? Who is he? Well, this demon-possessed man, he knows full well. Jesus, Son of the Most High God... And though hating him, yet he kneels. An unwilling subject, forced to bow before Jesus, the son of the most high God. And all he can ask for, of Jesus, is that he doesn't torture him. Like a convicted criminal angling for a reduced sentence from Jesus the judge. But judge Jesus is not interested in negotiating terms Jesus has come to make the demons flee. Come out of this man, you impure spirit. It was commonly believed at the time that that in a sort of spiritual contest such as this, to reveal your name is to throw in the towel, is to to surrender. And by verse 9, as Legion reveals his name, this pseudo contest is over. Jesus stands triumphant, his foot on the neck of a legion of demons. All they have left is to beg. And beg they do, verse 10. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, what's going on here? Is Jesus showing leniency? Why does Jesus let them go into the pigs? Well, I'm not sure it can be Jesus being lenient. Jesus doesn't do deals with the devil, I think rather Jesus is letting these demons be the architects of their own destruction. I don't know if there are any, any martial artists here. It's often surprising people who turn out to be martial artists. So if you're a martial artist, you, you know, make yourself known afterwards, or don't. Um, I'm no expert in martial arts. Uh, I'm told that a key principle in judo is that you let your opponent kind of... Lun- like, l- l- let your opponent go on the offensive and you, and you use their own momentum against them to kind of effortlessly flip them onto their back. If anyone knows judo, you can confirm, you can maybe confirm that. But um, I think there's something like that going on here. The impure spirits, they, they think that the, that the impure pigs will be a sort of nice place for them to go and wreck havoc. But in their desire to destroy, they end up destroyed. Jesus sort of effortlessly uses their own hostility against them. He makes the demons flee. And of course we see shadows here of a greater triumph when Satan in his desire to destroy Jesus on the cross ends up destroyed. His power broken as Jesus shatters the power of sin and grave. And one day evil will be driven out completely one day it won't just be a legion of demons drowned in a lake one day it will be Satan himself and all of his minions thrown forever into a different lake into the lake of fire as we're told in Revelation but this is Jesus Christ our spiritual champion he makes the demons flee secondly slightly more briefly He makes the people afraid. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who'd seen it told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man and told about the pigs as well and the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region he makes the people afraid now a Jesus with authority is a scary prospect I remember um, a couple of years back I used to meet with a friend of mine um, not a Christian we, we met every week to read the Bible for about a year we read through most of John. We read through all of Mark. I think we read some other sort of Genesis, and a bit of Ecclesiastes. Like we, we spent a lot of time reading the Bible, and he got to the point that where he was willing to say that what the Bible says about Jesus is true. Actually, I do believe in this Jesus. That I do believe in this man who has authority. I believe he did do miracles. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. He recognised Jesus' authority, but yet he held Jesus at arm's length. And didn't want to become a Christian. Why? Well, I wonder whether he was afraid, like the people in this story are afraid. Because a Jesus with authority is a scary prospect. He might call you to follow him. In fact, he does call you to follow him. And that changes everything, it changes your relationships, it changes your priorities. Changes your ambitions. And so is it just easier to tell him to get lost? It's just easier to, to send him away. Now, of course, authority is not all that Jesus has. And that's the tragedy here. These people, they've got they've got something right. They've they've rightly realized that Jesus is stronger than the strong man. They've got that right. They they see a powerful man who's hurting the pig farming industry. But they miss the restored man sitting there in front of them. A living testimony to not just the power of Jesus but the goodness of Jesus. And instead of asking and learning, they're afraid and tell him to leave. They reject him based on a sort of half-baked impression of him. And it might be that you're here this morning and you're holding Jesus at arm's length. Maybe you've seen something of Jesus. Maybe you've believe in his power and his authority. Maybe maybe you're on the outside looking in at Christian things and, and you're scared. What comes next? I, I've built a life for myself with my with my hobbies and my habits and my home. And is Jesus going to come along and ruin all that? Well, no, he's not. Jesus is out for your good. And the only thing you give up when you become a Christian is your sin. And if you're here and you're, and you're scared, where, where might all this lead? Can I encourage you just to talk about that with someone? Just to admit that, just to say, I'm really scared as to what being a Christian for me might mean. Don't make the mistake that these people made, who in their fear sent Jesus away. He makes the people afraid. But you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. So he makes the demons flee. He makes the people afraid. But thirdly, he makes the man go and tell. He makes the man go and tell. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now what's the difference between this man and the people from the region? Both have seen the harm of evil. Both have seen the power of evil. Both have seen the greater power of Jesus. So, why do the people want Jesus far away as possible, but this man wants him as near as possible? Answer The people have seen Jesus' transforming power from the outside, but the man has experienced it from the inside. Not sure if you've been um, watching Stacey Solomon's show, Sort Your Life Out. Any um, any Stacey Solomon fans here? Um, someone in our household is a big fan. I'll let you guess who that is. Um, but it's the sort of show, isn't it, where you where you get to witness the, um, the the total transformation of someone's life. The team sort of they find a family of essentially hoarders whose whose life is sort of full of clutter and, and, and chaos, and they, and they lay out all the stuff. They help the family get rid of most of it. And then in the meantime, they give the house a makeover. They build some storage. They clean it up. And they bring the family back in. And there's always floods of tears as they experience the transformation of their home, the transformation of their life. You watch it from the outside. It's good telly. It's interesting. You experience it from the inside. It's everything to you. Your life totally transformed. And in our story, Jesus brings transformation. But the villagers, they see it from the outside. The man sees it from the inside. And it's everything to him. What a transformation it is. From being terrorised by a legion of demons, crying out, cutting himself, to peacefully sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. This man's life will, will never be the same again. And so he begs to follow Jesus. But Jesus has a better plan. To go home to your own people. To tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he's had mercy on you. Strike, isn't it? Just a little side point. The local people, they beg Jesus to leave. And leave he will. But he doesn't want to leave without leaving them a witness. Without an opportunity to go deeper. to, To move from fear into faith. And so Jesus leaves an evangelist. I noticed that. As well. I just thought, isn't that kind of Jesus? Isn't that kind? Of, that Jesus doesn't just, just say, well, stuff it then. If you don't want me to stick around, I'll go. You know, no, he leaves them an evangelist. He leaves them this man. Back in chapter 1, he doesn't want the demons telling the world who he is, but he does want the kingdom seed to grow. He, he does want the world to hear. He does want them to hear of the grace and mercy at work in Jesus Christ. This man, having experienced the transforming power of Jesus, begs to follow, but instead Jesus makes him go and tell. And I guess the question at this point has to be how can I possibly respond like this man? Surely to respond like him, I need to experience what he's experienced. I need to be inside that experience, you just said, in order to respond like that. I need that before and after. How can I do that if I've not been possessed by a legion of demons? That's a fair point. That's a fair question. And to answer it, I'd love to just take us briefly to Ephesians chapter 2 on page 1173. So just flick over a few pages to 1173, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writing... Says this. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving. Of wrath now hear me rightly okay? not all of us have been possessed by a legion of demons not all of us have been the demonic incredible hulk not all of us have been forced to live in a graveyard but the Bible's really clear that all of us were once under the power and control of Satan the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us were once under his power and control. He didn't possess us, but he influenced us. Once upon a time, Satan fed us lies and met no resistance. Once upon a time, Satan led us us into temptation and met no resistance. Once upon a time, Satan gleefully steered us towards the judgment and wrath of God and met no resistance. You might have been completely oblivious to his influence in your life before you became a Christian or you might have been very aware of it. Every day a living hell. But all of us were once under his terrifying power. And if you're not a Christian here today the implication I guess is that that that's still you. His power remains at work in your life. But wonderfully, wonderfully, the same spiritual champion that conquered Legion has ridden to our rescue too. Because Paul goes on in verse four, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace You have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Friends, if you are a Christian here, You have that before and after story. From living among the dead to being given new life. From facing God's wrath to awaiting God's incomparable grace. From following Satan to seated with Christ. He is our spiritual champion. Like this man, we have a story to tell. We have a story of the grace and mercy of God. Like this man, we can go home to our own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for us. How he has had mercy on us. So as we close, I think the invitation for us is really simple. Trust your spiritual champion. I don't know how much fear the demonic realm holds for you. Fears of demonic possession or influence or temptation. But it need not hold fear. Because there is one who can slay the dragon. Witch doctors, ancestors, shamans can't help you like Jesus can help you. Trust your spiritual champion. I don't know how much fear the, the evil out there in the world holds for you. War and corruption and abuse, there's plenty out there. But it need not hold fear. Because there is one from whom evil flees. Trust your spiritual champion. I don't know how much fear the evil in your heart holds for you impure motives impure thoughts impure words evil's there too we confessed our sins earlier but it need not hold fear because there is one who restores us who cleans us up and who makes us whole trust your spiritual champion for the first time for the thousandth time Trust your spiritual champion. Why don't we pray and come to him now? Lord Jesus, the demons flee from you because you are the one who can slay the dragon, you are our spiritual champion. Father, when we were dead in our sins, when we were prisoners of the power of Satan, when his influence met no resistance in us, you rode to our rescue. And you saved us by your grace and mercy. And so we thank you and we praise you and we ask that you'd help us to trust you and not to fear evil. In your name we pray. Amen.